Good morning, everyone, again. Welcome to uh, join us as we continue our sermon series called Stan. Um, believe it or not, I know it's not that hard to believe, but um, when I was in first grade, I was a terrible student. Like, you, before you're all, like, the Asian, like, you're bad, but you're still, like, A, you know, that type. Not not that type. Because I grew up in Hong Kong, so, like, they're all Asian. They're all Chinese. So, like, there's no, you cannot be just Asian bad. But really, I was bad. To show you how bad I was as a student, I was 32 out of 35. Uh, at the end of the school year, they kind of rank you by your grade. And I was 32 out of 35 students. So I, I was proud that I did not get 35, but I was definitely not proud to bring that report card home for my parents to see. I was 32 out of 35. But you know what happened? So by, by second grade, I catapulted from 32 to second place. I was one of the worst students I was told that I was one of the worst students. I was reminded I was one of the worst students. But at the same time, I want to make sure that teacher know in my first grade that I will continue to be the worst student. But something changed during my second grade. That from being one of the worst, I became one of the best. Second place. And the reason why there was such drastic change was because of my second grade teacher. I still remember that one of the early days of that second grade, my, that my teacher came to talk to me and say, I've heard a lot about you. That's never a good thing to, to hear, you know. Uh, the teacher, I heard a lot about you. And, and I think for obvious reason why. But she told me that I don't want to believe in what I was told. I was told by your first grade teacher that you're not listening, you're rowdy, you're just not a good student. But I, ju- I don't want to believe what he said about you. But I want you to show me who you really are. In fact, she said, I stood up for you to tell that teacher, don't, don't hang on to those wrong feelings toward you. I stood up for you because I care about you. I want you to know that you have the potential to be whatever you want to be if you put in the work. She stood up for me because she had my best interest in mind. She stood up for me because she believes that I can actually be a good student. As a result of that, I erased what I was trying to prove in the first grade to be the bad student. All of a sudden, someone stood up for me and gave me the confidence, gave me the assurance that she will help me to become a better student. And as a result of that, that's why I changed from 32 to second. All because someone stood up for me. Without even knowing me, she stood up for me and today we're going to talk about standing up for someone. So far in the, in the book of Daniel, we saw how we are called to stand. We saw in chapter 1, we are supposed to stand up. We're standing up to what is not right in this world. Daniel stood up to Nebuchadnezzar and said, I'm not going to eat your food. No matter how good it is, I'm just going to drink water and veggie and I will, my God will meet my needs. We saw how it's important in this world that we need to stand up to uh, the things that are not right in this world. But last week, we also see in Daniel chapter 3 that we not only need to stand up to, but also we need to stand up against. We saw uh, mysteriously, and Daniel was not there, but his three th- friends were, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was there, were there, and they stood up against the direct command of Nebuchadnezzar. He, they did not bend their knees to the idols 
because they bowed their hearts toward God. They stood up against, even at the cost of potential of losing their lives, they stood up against what was wrong in the world and what was wrong that would, that would um, compromise their belief and devotion to God. But today, I want to talk about what does it mean for us to stand up for people. Because here's the reality that I've noticed in our world today, particularly in America, in a world where we continue to be postmodern, post-Christian, we're anti-God. Many people in our society think of Christians with a mentality that we are people who stand up against, we stand up to. We stand up against the government, we stand up to the things of this world. We are very known, and, and I think rightfully we should be standing up against things that are not right. We should be standing up uh, to the, the authority that is not rightly placed under us. But here's the thing, though, most people in this world think Christians are just those two things. We stand up to things, we stand up against things, without realizing that we're called to stand up for the people in this world. I would argue this is the reason why you and I are left on earth. Is for us to stand up for people who are lost. We ought to have their best interests in mind. We ought to be the hands and feet. With last series, we talked about being merciful to those who are in need, in the fringe, in the, in the, in the out, out, outer uh, skirt of, of our world. We need to be people standing up for a lost world, particularly. On a spiritual side, we need the people who stand up for the salvation of people who have no idea that the trajectory of their lives are heading to a place of destruction. So today in Daniel chapter 4, we're going to see this beautiful picture of Daniel standing up for Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, if you remember anything that we've talked about, read through any part that we've gone through in Daniel, uh, in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar was not a nice guy. Nebuchadnezzar was not the guy that, that is very uh, uh, warm and fuzzy. He was the guy who was out to make sure that he was being worshipped. He had conquered uh, Jerusalem, Judah. He, he had moved people away from their home. But yet we see in this story that Daniel was the one who stood up for him, for the best interest of Nebuchadnezzar, even between God and Nebuchadnezzar. So if you're a Bible with you, I want to ask us to turn to Daniel chapter 4. Would you open up your Bible? Turn to Daniel chapter 4. And meet me there in Daniel chapter 4. We're going to read through most of the chapter. Uh, I think by now you know that there's quite a big chunk. So follow along. Daniel chapter 4. Here's what it says. King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages. Last time we saw, saw those three words. It was Nebuchadnezzar calling people to worship him. But notice what happened. He, Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It seemed good to me to show the signs of wonders that the most high God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Completely different Nebuchadnezzar. And here's the reason why. He's giving a testimony of his own life. Verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I laid in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all, he loves making decrees, this guy, he, uh, as a king, that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me and they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in. 
And I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, and he who was named Belshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. He proceeded to talk about this dream that he had. I saw and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven. It was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. So far, so good. Then verse 13, I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a messenger, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed loud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the bees flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. Let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers and the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over his lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation because of all the wise men in my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able. For the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while. And his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream of the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw and which you grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven. It was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and became strong. Your greatness has grown and riches to heaven, your dominion to, to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it. But leave the stump of his roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord and King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. 
And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that the heavens rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that they may, there, there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is this not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claw. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you to this story. Thank you for your word again. The Almighty God, will you teach us today? Speak through me. Lord, help us to see how important it is that we need to come before you with humility. God, help us to stand up for those who are lost in this world, just like Daniel had done for King Nebuchadnezzar. So God, prepare our hearts to receive your word. Help us to be hearers of your words. And in even greater way, help us to be doers of your word. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's a lot, a uh, long chapter. Just to summarize a little bit, King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream uh, for whatever reason, he kept going to the same people asking for interpretation. Same thing happened in chapter 2. Couldn't answer. It was a bad dream. A dream that says that one day this tree will be chopped off. And, and this, this person will, be at, will start being like an animal, both mentally and physically. And so no one can give that answer. And Nebuchadnezzar obviously needed to find someone who can interpret it. And lo and behold, he found the one man that always gave him the right answer. Might not be the answer he liked, but it's always the right answer. He found Daniel. And Daniel was scared by this interpretation at first sight, but he nevertheless went on to give the truthful interpretation of this dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. As a result of that, Nebuchadnezzar actually did nothing. He was telling that you are that tree, you are that person who if you continue on the way, you will be the one who will be like an animal, be driven away, you will lose your kingdom. Yet uh, the, the story went on for 12 months. King Nebuchadnezzar did nothing about it as if that was just a bad night of pizza and ended up having a bad dream. And as a result, we saw that he ended up living out the fulfillment of this dream. And the end of that chapter tells us how he returned, how God by his providence and his provision gave him faith that he got to return, become a sane person. The kingdom got rebuilt and also he realized that God is God and he is not. And that's the summary of this story.
Uh, there are many ways for us to go at this story. Today, what we'd like to do, though, is to focus on Daniel's relationship with Nebuchadnezzar. Because we can talk about Nebuchadnezzar with God, how God is God, and he's not. He needs to submit himself to that, and we can. that's another sermon. We can talk about how Nebuchadnezzar needs to deal with his own pride. That he comes to a point where he has to come face to face with the reality that he is nothing before the God of all creation. But as we talked about in this sermon series, the need for us as believers to stand. I want to focus today on the relationship between Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. How we ought to be standing up for people like Nebuchadnezzar in this world. They may not be the kings of the world, may not be presidents of the world, they might be, but, but even the, those who live around us oftentimes see themselves just like King Nebuchadnezzar. That there may be a warning in their lives from God that, that the, hopefully they will return, but yet they can refuse to. And how do we stand up for those who are lost? Uh, but before we answer that question, I want to share two simple truths that we need to hold in tension as we step out and stand up for those who are lost in this world. The first thing we need to see is this, is that reality of God is the only one that saves. You and I as Christians, we're just the tools that God used. This is really important for us to understand that God is the one who saves. He is the only one who saves. Because oftentimes we get these upside down or, or backward. We tend to think as Christians, we are the one who saves and we get God to come alongside. But when in reality, actually God is the one who saves and we come alongside and be used by God. It's not a surprise in this story that Daniel actually had very little part to do with this. The main majority of the story is actually God dealing with Nebuchadnezzar. Right? You see from the very beginning, God was the one who gave that dream. Daniel did not whisper in his ears like, there's a dream that you're going to, you're going to die. You're going to be, you're going to be losing your kingdom. No, it was God who gave that dream to Nebuchadnezzar. And it was God who allowed Nebuchadnezzar to fulfill that dream on his own, on his own decision. And at the end, we see it was God who lifted his eyes to see. But that does not mean that we don't have a part to play because Daniel did have a part to deal with it, particularly in verse 19 to 27. And it is important for us to see that only God can change people. It will help us tremendously. It will line up our burden and discouragement and guilt at times because far many believers think that it is up to them to save everybody. So we have a role to play. This chapter gives us a great picture of God is in the business of saving people. He is on mission to bring the lost world back to himself. He's done that before you were born. And he's going to do that after I die. The kingdom continues to grow because God is the one who's doing the work. But we have a part in it. So on one hand, we need to trust that God is doing his work. Even though we don't see it, we don't, we don't see the result of it. And, and perhaps even in our own lifetime. But the other thing we need to hold in tension is that not only God is doing the saving, we're a part of it, God is using us, we also need to understand that the lost will persist in living in rebellious ways toward God. When left on their own, the lost world will continue to rebel against God, just like you and I, not by the grace of God, will continue to live the way that we love to live. Continue to live in rebellion against the God who rightfully own our lives. I came across this website and they're, uh, they're selling these magnets. And I've been laughing at this a lot because they have a magnet that says, Heathen, 
is going to heave. I mean, the point is simple that lost people are going to be lost and continue the lost way. And, and we should not be surprised that when people are not responding well to the gospel. I mean, think about the last time someone corrected you. Maybe you're more spiritual, but for me, my first thought was not, oh, keep it coming. I need to hear it. No, my first thought was, you're wrong. And while you're listing all the things that was wrong about my life, I'm calculating what kind of things is wrong in your life. He said, we are living, we are, in, we, we are submerged in our, our very DNA as a human being is one of sinful nature. See, by nature, we will live in rebellion against God, and we see that in the story. Nebuchadnezzar, even warned, frightened by the dream, even with the interpretation of the dream, for 12 months, he did not bat an eye. To change his life. And I would imagine probably Daniel being his trusted uh, advisor would remind him of what had happened about this dream. Or what could happen to him. Yet, Nebuchadnezzar continued in his way. And we need to be aware of that. I think as Christians, we need we ought not to be naive. And sometimes we get discouraged easily because all oh, people rejected me. That ought to be the common answer. <laughs> You should expect people to reject you. But that is not to say, though, that the word of God has no power. The gospel is not powerful. But what that does mean is that we ought to do a part. I think it is in those two truths that we have. God is doing his work. God is doing his saving. On the other hand, people are going to reject God. People are going to rebel against God. Here in both in the tension of these two truths, where you and I play a huge role that God has places in between them to stand up for the loss in this world because they needed someone to stand up for them just like i needed someone to stand up for me because i was out to to make sure that my first grade teacher knew that i was a bad student because you think i'm a bad student i'm going to prove to you that i'm a bad student that is until someone else come along and said you don't have to be that way when my second grade teacher stand up for me and so here's the question we're going to look at in daniel's example how can we stand up for a world that have no idea where they're going. Or perhaps they have feel the brokenness of this world, and yet they have no answer to that. How do we stand up for them? I want to share with us three things. As every good sermon, there's always three points. Uh, there are three things we see here that Daniel had done that perhaps will help us, encourage us to do, for us to stand up for those around us who are lost, our lost family, our lost neighbor, our lost friends. Our lost word, the first thing we see is this, that we must stand up for them by loving them genuinely. We must love them genuinely. We must have a loving relationship with them. They ought not to be a project in your life that because your Sunday school teacher assigned you, your small group assigned you a task to bring the gospel and now they are a checkbox on your, on your to-do list that I need to kind of do this project. They ought to be people that you love genuinely because that's what happened to Daniel. You wonder why of all people, Nebuchadnezzar went to find Daniel. Look at verse 18. Nebuchadnezzar himself said, this dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation. Why? Because all the wise men of the kingdom are not able to make known to him the interpretation. But notice what he said about Daniel. You are able for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Even though he doesn't really know capital M, capital H, capital G, God. 
There is something different about Daniel, and he's seen enough through chapter 1, 2, 3 that Daniel is legit. He has a real God living in him. But not only he, he has a testimony of God living in him, because he trusted in Daniel. There's a relationship between Daniel and God, uh, between Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar. Because notice in verse 19, Daniel was being asked to interpret his dream. Verse 19, here's what it says. Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream of interpretation alarm you. It's a really funny scene because what is scared Daniel when he got this interpretation. Daniel had a couple of choices to make. He can either be like every other wise man in Babylon and say, I don't know the answer. But in reality, he knows the answer. Because he, remember, King Nebuchadnezzar was the very one who took him away from his home. He was the one who destroyed Judah. He was the one who perhaps had killed family members of, of Daniel. Daniel have every right, every reason to not give him the interpreting, just let him flounder and continue living in his pride. And one day he will become that animal that's living on a, uh, eating grass and, and mingling among other beasts. But here's the thing. Daniel did not do that. In fact, Daniel said that, I wish that this would not happen to you. It would happen to your enemies. That's how much Daniel actually loved genuinely Nebuchadnezzar. He actually cared for King Nebuchadnezzar. Let me ask you a question. Are you that person that people would turn to when things are not going well in their lives? Are you the person that people would turn to when they have no answers in this world and they will turn to you because they know, one, you love them, and two, you actually have an answer that's different from the world? See, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar did not only turn to Daniel because Daniel knows the answer. He knew that Daniel can be trusted. There's a relationship. Do you love people? Have you earned the right to give the answer of the gospel of Jesus Christ to people because they know you love them? Uh, I was uh, reminded of this early this week. Uh, I got a chance to hear this story from a pastor in a uh, house church in China. And um, he was sharing this story. He was sharing this story that um, in his house church, there was an older woman. Um, she came to know uh, Jesus Christ. But then her husband was a staunch unbeliever. So she showed up at home, started praying to Jesus. And as she was praying fervently without realizing what's happening behind her husband took out a, a rod, a wooden rod, and just hit her. Because she trusted in Jesus. And she, he was wondering, why are you praying to this foreign Western God? But she decided not to leave him. Now, let me be clear. This is not, I'm not advocating abuse is okay and all that. But given the context there and the culture there, there are certain restraints that um, she could have walked out on him. But she chose to continue to serve him, love him. She could have poisoned the food that she feeds him and cooks for him every day. But she continued to show love to him, even to the point when he was on his deathbed. 
people were trying to encourage him to come to know Jesus, but he would have none of it. That's until his wife came and talked to him. And he said, I, I wouldn't believe in your God. I mean, I was hitting you. I, I was thinking your God is unreasonable. But because of what you have done over all these years that you never walk out, you never blame me, you never re- take revenge against me because of the I see that your God is real. You see, she had earned the right to speak truth, to share the gospel with her unsafe, abusive, violent husband. Have you earned the right? Have you loved people around you, the loss around you genuinely so that you can share the news of the good news to them. This first Corinthians chapter 13 says this verse one and three. If I speak, here's Paul speaking. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have a prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith and as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing. You know what Paul is saying here? Paul is saying it doesn't matter how loud you talk, but you have not love. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for our drummer to uh, enacting it for us. You see, it doesn't matter how loud I shout. It doesn't matter how good that news is. If you have not love, you're literally just this annoying symbol that's being hid and they just they cannot hear your message and that's what paul is getting and that's what dan has demonstrated that we before we talk and share before we bring the gospel to the world we need to love him genuinely because if we don't then you guys all heard of the saying you know people don't care how much you how much you know until they know how much you care so people needed to know that we love them, have the best interests in mind. And therefore, leads us to the second thing. Not only do we love them genuinely, which Daniel did to Nebuchadnezzar, but that we must also stand up for them by, by sharing with them truthfully. We must share not just part of the gospel, only the good stuff, only the, only the good sounding stuff, but we must share the complete gospel, the complete good news, because every good news is a good news because there is a bad news there in the first place. We must share the complete gospel, even truth that they might not want to hear. Because Daniel was alarmed. He saw the interpretation was about this king. And Daniel, again, have every reason to not tell the truth. Daniel have every every uh, excuse to not stand before this king and, and, and tell him the honest truth. He can tell a white lie. He can just tell, well, don't worry about it. Nothing will happen. I mean, put yourself in Daniel's shoes. You are standing before the king who has an, a little bit of a temper, likes to throw people in the fiery furnace, who likes to even in a good day would threaten to torn people from limb to limb if you believe in the wrong God. And Daniel had to make a choice. What I need to tell him the full truth and nothing but the truth? Or am I just going to skate around that? We see Daniel did not stutter. Did not stutter in telling him to correct the full interpretation of this dream. He was so frightened that this would, he even said that I wish this is not upon my king that would be on your enemy. Is that how severe it is? 
And just like Moses before Pharaoh, just like John the Baptist before King Herod, and just like Elijah before King Ahab, just like Jesus before Pilate, Daniel stood up and stand and, and, and tell the truth about what this dream is. He told him, this is what's going to happen to you if you continue to live in rebellion against God. Several years ago, um, I was just so touched and challenged and encouraged by what uh, my wife Hannah had done at work. Uh, she had an opportunity to work with a higher-up executive uh, in her hospital. Uh, and through that relationship, they get to share the story a little bit and their life story. And uh, her, her, this executive particularly shared a little bit of her uh, pain and the sorrow that she had received from the church. Um, part of the reason is because she had a, a, a different sexual orientation. She's homosexual and she wanted to get married and all that stuff. Uh, but then she grew up in the church and felt really attacked, not really understanding why the church would not accept her. So she carried around with her this this uh, bitterness, this anger, perhaps this hurt in her lives, and and uh, um, after a period of time, she decided to move on from the hospital. But all the while, I remember Hannah was just telling me that God had placed in her a burden to share the gospel with her, and she just prayed and prayed, like, "How do I bring this up? I don't really know her that well, but at the same time, like, you know, I just feel God placed that burden on her, and she has a choice, just like Daniel, she could just kind of like." text her or just pretend nothing happened but i'm super proud and just encouraged of her willing to step into that and actually talk to her and, and she sympathized when she talked with in that conversation before she uh she left um hannah talked to her and share and i uh, sympathized with her and say you know i understand why you would be so hurt by the church kind of help her to and even apologize on behalf of the church if people have perhaps treated her badly but at the same time, Hannah shared with her the gospel and say, just as like people at church have sinned, we all have sinned. And we all have sinned. We all need forgiveness of God. And she could have stopped right there. And many of us will be like, wow, that's great. Y'all shared the gospel with her. But she went above and beyond because she knew what she was wrestling with her sexual orientation is not one that's pleasing to God, it's rebellious to God. And so she decided to give her a book of a lesbian turned Christian of her testimony and ask her to read it. Man, think about the risk that was involved in just doing that. She hasn't left the company that she could have easily filed uh, to the human resource department. But Johanna decided to take the risk because that's the burden that we ought to be sharing the gospel that we don't not only address the good stuff, but also we need to help them to wrestle with the things that is truthful from God, that is rebellious against God. When we preach the gospel, we need to be truthful to people, that we need to talk about sin. That Romans 3.23 still applies today, that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that every person who are lost in this world has sinned against God. We need to address that. We need to discuss that. Not, not, not take a hammer at them and just keep nailing them on the cross, but we need to share honestly that sin applies to all of us. But we also need to talk to people that how sin, and there is a consequence to our sins because Romans 6.23 tells us that their wages of sin, the cause of sin, the, the what we deserve from sin is death, eternal separation from God. Just like Daniel, there is a consequence when Nebuchadnezzar do, does not continue to, uh, does, uh, continue to live in rebellion, does not heed God's warning to him. 
We need to let people know that in Hebrews 9.27, that after we die physically, there will be judgment on all of us. See, it is so easy for us in this world to share the gospel. Jesus died for you, Jesus loved you, but at the same time, we don't say the reason why Jesus had to do all of that. You see, standing up for the best interest of others requires us to have spiritual backbone, the faithfulness to speak honestly and truthfully to those whom we love, yet they live in a rebellious way against God. It will require us to have some tough conversation, conversations that if, by, by, by any account that we would not want to have naturally. But Daniel did not shy away from that conversation. Daniel did not shy away from sharing honestly, even at the risk of his head being chopped off by this violent king. So when we stand up for those who are around us who are lost, we must start in a place of love. We must start with a place of a loving relationship. We must continue because we love them. We want to tell them the whole truth and nothing but the truth, but that we don't end right there. There's a third thing that Daniel did. Daniel actually did not just tell him about the truth. Daniel actually asked him to make a decision. See, Daniel asked him by sharing with him truthfully, but Daniel also asked him to call him to make a repentance patiently. We must ask people to decide. We cannot twist their arm and force them to make a decision to believe in God. But we must give them an opportunity to know what does it mean? What decision have they made? How do they respond to the gospel? Chapter 4, verse 27. Daniel, again, he would have been fine without going to verse 27. He could have shared the gospel, warned the king. But he went one step further. Daniel chapter 4, verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Think about the words that he's about to say. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. He's literally saying to the king in his face, you are sinning. Not only are you sinning, you are oppressing people. Translated in modern, you are a jerk, a bad jerk, and you're a sinning jerk. And Daniel makes sure he knows that there is a way for you to turn around. You need to stop, break off your sin. You need to show mercy. There are things you must do if you don't want this dream to come true for you. You see, many times we, when we look at that, we say, oh, is that salvation by work? Like, why is Daniel telling him to do these things? You see, the problem is not just doing these things. What King Nebuchadnezzar is not, Daniel is not telling just do these things and you'll be saved. Because Daniel knew at the heart of, of Nebuchadnezzar is not a matter of doing, it is a, a heart of submission. King Nebuchadnezzar has seen up to this point of his life this great powerful God. It is not a matter of him knowing the God, but it is a matter of him submitting to this God. See, the problem of faith, uh, the opposite of faith is never doubt or is never knowledge. The opposite of faith is our self-centeredness. Because we know how the story unfolds in verse 30. After 12 months, after all that time that, that he could have repented, he could have turned from breaking off his sin but showing mercy, he did none of that because verse 30 summarized best what's really internal in his heart, how he see God or not see God. Verse 30 says this, And the king answered and said, He is chilling in his hanging garden. 
having the best time of his life. Verse 30, he is kind of saying this word. Perhaps he doesn't even think twice about saying it, but he said it. He says this, is not this great Babylon? And notice the word, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. I, my, my, me, I, mine. You see, that's why Daniel is calling him to change outwardly because what in order for him to change outwardly, he must submit himself inwardly to God. See, last week we saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego bow their hearts to God. Nebuchadnezzar never did. And he would not be able to stop the oppressing of people. He would not be able to break off his sin unless he genuinely believed that God of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that most high God. And even as King Nebuchadnezzar, he needs to submit underneath him. See, many times we're not asking people to make a decision or respond to the gospel. And what happened is this, that the good news of Jesus is just another news that they come across on their feed. Another news that they've heard, another good option that they can have. You see, Daniel did not twist his arm. He said, let my counsel be acceptable. Daniel did not insist you must believe. We're not talking about forcing people to believe in Jesus. We're talking to people to come face to face and look in the mirror and see, and do I really believe in this God? And we must give them specific instruction whether them to make that decision. Because the worst thing that can happen is we share the gospel, we reach out to these lost people, lost friends, family in the world, and then they walk away thinking, well, well I guess it's okay. I'm kind of Christian-ish. I kind of believe in it, but I don't know. I don't know. See, the gospel demands a response. Because a non-response is actually a response. Salvation is a pass-fail. Just like a pass-fail test, you pass or you fail. There's nowhere in the middle that's a gray area. And many times as Christians, we have not done a good job in helping people to know what does it mean to put our faith in Jesus. And Daniel here made it very clear for King Nebuchadnezzar and said, this is how you return back to God. But he left the decision up to King Nebuchadnezzar. And as we see in the story, for 12 months, Nebuchadnezzar thought silence of God means the signature of God, that God is approving of him to live in rebellion. But we know that was not the case because we read in the story that he ended up being having the mind of an ox, a mind of animal. He started living like animal. God had punished him. There is, there is consequence to his rebellion against God. I think many times as we are Christians, we, we are like Daniel. And at that point, we, we stop at verse 33. We feel like we're defeated. But that's why we need to hold on to the tension between God. God is the one, only one who saves and people are going to persist in the rebellion. It's because God is the only one who is working behind the scene that we cannot see. Because we know, which I didn't read earlier, but in verse 34, we see that for whatever reason, for whatever reason, whatever timing God saw to be fit, he allowed, he gave faith to Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 34, after seven period of time, we don't know how long that is, but a substantial, complete amount of time. And at the end of that, Nebuchadnezzar himself testified, said, I lifted my eyes to heaven. 
What a picture. That in his Beasley ox mine, somehow he looked up to heaven and said, perhaps I'm just like an animal to God. I'm not as great as I am. I'm not as mighty as I thought I would be. And by because of that submission to God, he was restored. In verse 36, at the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. And look at verse 37. Now it's no longer about him, but he says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol to honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right, his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. The reason why there is a chapter 4 in Daniel is because Nebuchadnezzar had submitted himself to God. And Daniel played a part in it, and we ought to play a part in it. This is a gospel tract, a gospel testimony of King Nebuchadnezzar. The gospel flowed into his life. But the reason why he needed to testify is because the gospel also needs to move out of his life. And here's the challenge for you and I. As believers, as a kingdom, a kingdom people, we have the gospel flow into our lives. Are we letting this gospel flow into other people's lives? In the month of August, our church is going to do something, hopefully allows, uh, encourage us as a church to, do, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, by the uh, provision of God and generosity of a sister in our church who have donated hundreds of these Lysol wipes, uh, you ever do grocery shopping or you're, you know, at home and you're trying to buy these wipes, you know how difficult it is. I, in fact, my friend, I just saw on her uh, Instagram account, she finally got one at Target. And she's like, that's the last one they can find. These are hard to get, right? And uh, this sister had donated hundreds of them. And then our partnering church in China, uh, House Church, they have also donated hundreds of masks. And what we want to do is this. Instead of keeping it for ourselves, our own church, what we would like to do is we are actually preparing these gift bags with one Lysol a roll of wipe and a, a mask, a 10 mask that is sealed, and also a note from our church. And we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus in, among our lost friends, lost families, and lost community and neighborhood. And what we want to ask you to do is this. You remember last October, during our missions month, we have a campaign called Who's Your One? Many of you remember coming up in the front and you write down the name that God had placed in your heart to reach out to. What we want to ask you to do is this, for the next two weeks, start praying for your one. Start praying, maybe the one that you wrote down, maybe there's a new one, doesn't matter. Start praying for your lost one. And by in August, starting August 8th, so we want you to spend two weeks praying, praying for them because investing in a relationship with them and, for, and, the sec, and the, uh, by August 8th, we want to invite you to come to our church uh, throughout that week to pick up these gift, gift, uh, ba- uh, gift bags. And we want to encourage you to go drop them off. Whenever your friends, your, your non-believing friends, your, your unsafe family members, unsafe neighbors, you can hand it over to them with six feet distance, social distancing, and, and as an act of love to them. Because they are our friends. They are people that we love because you are a part of this church. And we want to call you, and want to encourage, exhort you to be the gospel, bring the gospel to our friends and family who don't know Jesus Christ yet. 
And at the end of August, we're going to set aside one Sunday to be evangelistic Sunday. Our worship service will be an evangelistic uh, service. And we'll be uh, preaching for an evangelistic message that give an opportunity for your friends and your family, your neighbors to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have an opportunity to stand up for those who are lost around us. So I want to encourage you again, pray and spend the next two weeks praying for your one. And we'll remind you again, and we're preparing something for you also that you can start evangelizing and publicizing uh, uh, about, about the Gospel Sunday that we'll have in the end of August through your social media as well. I hope that this will be something that will uh, be useful and something that will encourage us to continue. Even with the limitation of COVID, we can continue to further the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for your love for us. That the gospel somehow through others, by your providence, and flow into our lives. But God, help us not to be a cul-de-sac of your gospel. Help us to stand up for those around us that who have yet to know you. Help us to stand up for them with the truth of the gospel. Help us to stand up for them by loving them genuinely. And help us to, to ask them for a response to the gospel. Lord, we have an opportunity in the month of August to start that process or perhaps some of us to continue that process. So God, help us to love them genuinely. Help us to be bold in declaring and inviting. Lord, we pray that we can truly be a blessing to those around us. We pray for salvation to come forth. Lord, we know that only you can bring salvation. Only you can save. So Lord, continue the work of redemption in and around us. It is in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.